Thank you for tuning in as we continue in our study in the book of Philippians. We're going to be picking up with Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. I just want to say a quick editorial note. Um, hopefully, by Monday, October 2nd, our new design on our website will go live. And so we hope that you will visit the warriorsword.com um, and that you'll take a look at that. It will give you access. If everything is successful, it will give you access to everything from our ministry. And so that is our goal. And so on Monday, the October 2nd, um, we hope to have that up and live. We're going to pick up with Philippians 2, verses 14 to 15, um, some challenging verses for us to look at, as I think so much of Philippians is. It, it is just a tremendous book with many, many things in it that makes us step back and look, and I hope that we've been helping you to do that um, in, in these little studies that we are doing by podcast. Starting with verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. The word murmurings comes from the Greek gagusman, and it indicates a spirit of discontent and stubbornness. It is the same terminology that is used for the Israelites in the wilderness. Remember, as they are in the Exodus crossing, and God just does miracle after miracle, and right shortly after the miracle is done, the Israelite children are complaining. And that is where the word murmurings comes from, a spirit of discontent and stubbornness. And th think about that in yourself, okay? It makes me think about that in myself. The word disputings comes from dialogusman, which means questioning, questionings and doubtings, or questionings or doubtings. Do all things... That doesn't say do some things, or if you're having a good day, or if you're up on the mountaintop, don't murmur or dispute. It says do all things without these. Why? So you can be blameless in the sight of men. You can be sons or children of God. That is in a terminology of family likeness to God himself. We might put it in the term that you will hear me use quite often in the ministry that I am doing. Be Christ-like. Be Christ-like. Don't be self-righteous, but be Christ-like. How do you do that? You stop murmuring. You stop disputing so that you can be blameless. And I want you to recognize that finishing words there in verse 15. In the midst of a perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
Paul is not writing this, and, and remember, he's in prison as he's writing this. He's not writing this saying, if everything is going right for you politically and in the world system, then that's when you be this person. No, he's saying in the midst of a perverse nation, you need to be without murmurings and disputings. Wow. Some some of us really, really need to look at those verses and take them to heart. Why? When we stay uncorrupted by the world, our light can shine without blemish on it. Live a life that is Christ-like so that no one can point their finger at you and, and say you fall short of this. Now, do we fall short of this? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. But again, we are striving in this attitude to be Christ-like. Because then, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, and my friends that may be listening to this, let me say to you, we are in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, and we have been for quite some time. It isn't new. There has been corruption going on, and they are meeting in back rooms to take away every right that you have. That is the reality. So how do we react to that? We get on Facebook and we complain and we dispute and we murmur and we talk about how bad things are. No, no. We are a light to that very world, that very perverse nation. We are called to be a light. Verse 16 of Philippians chapter 2, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So we are to hold forward the word of life. Who is the word of life? That is Christ. So we are to be holding forth Christ in, in everything without disputing or murmuring. Remember, we're in context here. In Paul's day, of Christ, he wanted to know the Philippians had succeeded and not failed, or his work would have been in vain. What a waste it is for a Christian worker when he gives of himself, and in the end, no difference was made. We must always strive to make a difference, to be relevant in people's lives. Now, should we sacrifice truth or standard to be relevant in people's lives? No, that is not what Paul is saying. We, But we are to hold forth that word so that in the day of Christ, we can rejoice because those around us, we haven't labored in vain. Sometimes, and, and I've got to watch that because that goes in again with the murmuring and the disputing that we need to be careful of. Sometimes it's, it's so easy to, when you're trying so hard and in recent days, 
as you are listening to this, as this is being put together, the the Warrior Sword Ministry has just been just doing all kinds of things, preaching and, and teaching and putting out everything that we can. And we're, we're actually, as I'm recording this, my daughter and I are getting ready to do a revival. And I, I, I made a statement that kind of frustrated her. Now, if any of you are listening from that church, please stick with me. I made a statement that kind of frustrated her. I said, all the revivals that I've done in all these churches has basically been a waste of time. And she said, Daddy, don't say that. It wasn't a waste of time. People were touched. I said, that's not what I mean. Yes, people were touched. But most of the churches are worse than what they were when I was doing revivals there. Oh, we had some great revival times and good attendance and people came to the altars and, and there was all of that. But has it changed anything in the church? But see, a lot of times what we've got to do is we've got to step back and not look at that small picture, but we've got to look at the big picture. There are people literally alive today, sincerely, people that came to the altar and they were planning on ending it all. And their lives were turned around. So see, maybe you might look at the picture and say, well, what I have done, I've tried to minister to my friends and my community and, and have influence on other people. And it hasn't changed anything. Sometimes the changes you don't even know. Sometimes the changes you won't ever know till you get to heaven. So don't stop doing the good things. Don't stop holding forth the word of life and, and realize you, you don't want to be running in vain. You don't want to be laboring in vain. You, you want to touch other people's lives, okay? So I hope that you take that as an encouragement, that you don't get discouraged because of part of the picture that you might be looking at, but you continue because always remember, always, that is one of the verses that we have held in this ministry from the very, very beginning, all the way back before it was even the warrior sword went, and all the things that we've done. God's word will not return void unto him. If you put God's word forth, he will accomplish what he intended to accomplish. So again, I meant for that to be an encouragement to you, and I hope that it is. Verses 17 and 18. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. The literal translation of those verses, if I'm being poured out as an offering, offered is spindomai. And sometimes it was used to denote when an animal was about to be slain in sacrifice or wine was poured on it as a solemn act of devoting the sacrifice to God. So if Paul's dying will in any way completes or perfects the sacrifice of the Philippians' people's faith or deeds of service, he will gladly die. 
I rejoice and you rejoice with me the same way. It's not one-sided. We're in this together. And so if I am offered as a sacrifice so that you can be fulfilled in your deeds of service, then so let me be sacrificed. What a heart. And sometimes I think that we miss that heart, that pastor's heart in Paul that just loved the people. And his love for the church at Philippi is very, very noticeable and obvious. And, and it challenges me to be that way as a minister. And, and if you're listening today, I hope that you have that attitude towards the people that you're ministering to. So you don't want your work to be in vain and you don't want their work to be in vain either. You, and, and not only do you want to rejoice in being sacrificed over them, you want them to rejoice in being sacrificed over you. What a wonderful picture of what we would call the circle of faith, how, how it operates. That goes within our ministry purpose statement in the circle of faith. We want the circle of faith to be completed so that we are all working together as a body for Jesus Christ to accomplish the purpose that he has for us. Verses 19 to 22. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus, Timothy, shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he hath served me in the gospel. If Jesus permits, that's not a cliche to Paul. He, and, and he makes that clear. You, you see that all the way back into what sent Paul into Philippi in the first place. He was sent to Philippi when God forbid him to go into Asia, Bithynia, and sent him into Macedonia instead. So when Paul says, if Jesus permits, he, he means literally, if Jesus permits, Jesus is in control of what Paul is doing. He wants to send Timothy because Timothy is a like-minded person with Paul. Paul, Timothy was literally in discipleship with Paul. Paul has taught him and instructed him. And because of that, Timothy is like-minded with Paul. In a sense, Timothy has become a little Paul. And, and that's a tremendous compliment to both of them. Only here in the New Testament is the word, this one is a tough one to pronounce, isoxucon, isoxucon. I'm probably mispronouncing that. That like-minded is one-souled or equal-souled. That's not sold, S-O-L-D, that is sold, S-O-U-L-E-D. So when he says he's like-minded, he's saying he is one in soul with me or equal soul. 
Timothy actually shared Paul's concerns. He had the same kind of pastor's heart. Now, I, I, I am beating that drum to say it should be our wish as Christians that we so disciple others around us that God gives us the opportunity to invest in, that we so invest into them that they become one sold with us. It's a wonderful statement. Naturally, nisios, genuinely or truly implies kinship like a brother. Timothy will not make the journey for any personal honor, but only because of a sincere concern for those to whom he is sent. Timothy is a man that commentators teach. Timothy is a man fitted for Christian service. Verse 20, he's sympathetic. Verse 21, he's selfless. Verse 22, he's seasoned. Timothy actually helped Paul to write 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 2nd Corinthians, and now the book to the Philippians. And so, Paul is introducing him as a man that he wants to be a leader within the church because he's not interested in himself or self-exaltation. He's only interested, as Paul was, in extending the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, give us pastors with that kind of heart. Verses 23 to 25. Him, therefore, I hope to sin presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Paul's saying, when he was a little closer to knowing the outcome of his trial. Remember, he's being held a prisoner. And so he's not sure what's going to end up happening to him. He, he's very uncertain of whether he will continue to live or if he will die. And so he's in that situation, and that's what he's saying. I, I, when I get a little closer to knowing the outcome of my trial, then I'll send Timothy to you. At this point, he still needed Timothy with him. And so that's, that's what's happening in that situation. Paul himself also hopes to come to Philippi. So remember, his pastor's heart longs for these people. He's praying for them daily. He wants to know what is happening to them. He wants to know that the efforts that he has put in to the church is bringing success in their works. So again, you, you see that context. Until he can send Timothy, he'll send Epaphroditus. This is the man that is only mentioned here in the entire New Testament. He's, he's not... So he was particularly, in Philippians 4.18, he had brought Paul a gift of money from the Philippians. That is the meaning of your messenger. 
and he that ministered to my wants. That's what Paul is saying there in verse 25. So Epaphroditus in Philippians 4.18, only in Philippians is he mentioned in, in this ministry. And so Paul is sending him in advance of Timothy so that the work can be carried into Philippians until Tim, or, or into Philippi until Timothy can get there. Okay. Why does Paul care? Because again, he has that pastor's heart that is reaching out to these people. Verses 26 to 30, okay? That finishes out chapter two. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that you ye had heard that he had been sick. Now that's Epaphroditus, okay? That's who Paul is talking about here. He longed after the Philippians and was full of heaviness because they had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only, not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation." Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Okay, so Epaphroditus, we're, we're not certain what was actually going on in sickness because that is not shared with us. But he became very, very sick, even nigh unto death. But he was concerned about the Philippians. Now, again, this is another disciple of Paul. And, and you see that pastoral attitude that is instilled into him because he was not concerned about himself. He was concerned about the Philippians because they had found out about his sickness and he didn't want them to worry. I just again say, wow. So often, my friends, I know I keep saying this, but I think this is so important in Bible study. I think that it is so easy to just read over the top of some things. I mean, who cares about this guy that is only mentioned in the book of Philippians? And, and what difference does that make? Because often we can just miss really wonderful things. He, that, this attitude of saying, oh, I don't want to murmur. What, what do we do when we are sick? We murmur and complain. Do any of the rest of you do that? It's like, I am not a good person being sick. I just, I remember one time, and I say this laughingly, I really do. I had the flu so bad. I was spending most of the day in the bathroom and it was not pleasant in any way. And my wife came into the room and said, is there anything that I can do for you? And I said, take the gun and shoot me. <laughs> I just want to die. Have you ever been in that situation? Now, did I really want her to shoot me? No, I didn't, but I didn't feel good. And, and so my response was just, I don't 
want to live here anymore right now. Tomorrow I will feel better and I don't want to die. But in this moment, now, now see what I'm saying in that is that it's so easy for us when things are going wrong, whether it is things physically or emotionally or spiritually, we, we can murmur and we can dispute, we can doubt, we can fuss at God, we can complain about what he's doing. And I think, I, I see this tremendous attitude here that goes right into context because Epaphroditus is, is not whining and complaining to God that he's sick almost unto death. He's concerned that the Philippian people are worried about him. And Paul, or, and God spares him, I'm sorry. And it wasn't just a blessing to Epaphroditus, but again, you see that pastor's heart in Paul that he's saying, I would have had grief on top of grief upon top of these bonds that I'm in if God would have taken Epaphroditus. But God spared him. The Philippians sent him when Paul was in need. Now in mutual concern, Paul seeks to relieve the Philippians of their concern. So again, that's Philippians 4.18. Epaphroditus had come with a gift from the Philippian people to care for Paul and to take care of his needs. And so that is Paul's return in mutual concern because they had concern for Paul. So when he was in need, that was their action. And now Paul is returning that in his concern for them. Epaphroditus had served in person what the Philippians could not. So don't misunderstand what, what Paul says in verse 30 when he says, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death. Again, we don't know what that was or what the sickness was, but not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me. When I originally read that, a long time ago, I thought that that was actually a condemnation to the Philippian people when he says to supply your lack of service towards me. That That is not what that is saying. That's not what that's saying at all. Epaphroditus had served in person what the Philippians could not. So the Philippians have sent a wonderful gift to Paul. They weren't denying Paul or refusing to help him, but they couldn't come in person. And Epaphroditus came in person to supply that. Okay? So somewhere in the trip, this sickness, whatever it was, had come upon him, even to death. But God has spared him. And Paul is praising God. And now Epaphroditus is continuing right on in the ministry, kind of like his disciple or Paul, huh? With all of the things, Paul would be stoned nearly to death or put into prison. He was put into prison in Philippi, remember? And that where he's writing to, and he goes right back into the service of Jesus Christ. Don't let the battles and the trials that you go through knock you out of service to Jesus Christ. Don't do that because 
it's it's a wonderful work that God gives us to be able to continue to work for him. I think I'm going to stop there in this session, and we'll pick up with the beginning of chapter three next time. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've been encouraged.